Good morning. Again. Our lives can sometimes feel like they're broken and shattered and destroyed. But the good news is that Jesus' life, Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection is what can restore us and is the reason that we can experience a full life if we, if we grab onto it. We've got, to, we've got to take it. It's a gift and we've got to actually receive the gift and use the gift. If we don't receive the gift that's given to us, we can't use it. It's like if I give you a present and you open it and then you don't use it, there was no point giving you that gift. And that is what God has given us in Jesus. So if we can embrace Jesus and embrace the principles that Jesus taught, we will embrace a full life. You see, it doesn't matter how bad our lives seem, they're never irredeemable. They're never, ever irredeemable. You see, we are never beyond repair. We're never going to be beyond repair as long as we trust in Jesus because he has paid the ultimate price. So in Christ and through him, we can rise out of the ashes and we can experience an abundant life. And if we grab onto this, I think it will change the world. If we can really trust what Christ said and how we are supposed to act as Christians, it will change us. <clears throat> it won't make us any more saved. Saved is saved. But it will allow us to live an abundantly full life here. So today the big idea is, you know, is that, that I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. So in week one, we talked about identity, and it's really important that we get that week one identity, and it's, it, that is going to be the rest of your life. You need to realize who your identity is from, and it is in God, not in what the world tells us, and not in what the world tells us. Secondly, we talked about temptation and that we're all going to be tempted. So, but if we root our identity in Christ, in Christ, that is how we, we can battle temptation. We can, we can learn scriptures because we realized in week one that what did Jesus do when he was tempted? He quoted scripture because he had the weapon that God has made for us. Then we talked about humility, and, and we, we, we said uh, we need to think of ourselves less and of us more. Not think of ourselves not at all, because that's not healthy. We need to be healthy to help others, so we need to think of ourselves less, but still look after ourselves, but we need to put others first, and that's why I challenged uh, for a food drive, and whether you want to donate food or money, I'm like doing the math in my head, and I, I'm like, now it's money seems a lot better because I can't go to a grocery store and buy $80 worth of groceries with $10. I may buy $10 worth of groceries for $80 at the grocery store, but they, they can multiply money somehow. They can buy $8 of groceries for $1. So, I've already got $80 saved up from different people. That, so, so, 
I get 20 more dollars, that's $800 worth of groceries. I think that's a pretty good deal. I'm just going to continue challenging you until Easter, because the day after Easter, I'm taking the donation to, to, uh, the, to them, and it's going to be there. And then last week, we talked about starting a habit of contemplating a quiet time with Jesus. I hope, I hope over the last week that you, if it wasn't every day that you took some time this week to get alone with God and to get quiet with God. And I hope that you can, you can make it a daily habit if you haven't already. Because I think it will change your life. I was talking to a member of our church this week and they told me that they'd started that habit over a year ago and it has truly changed their lives. So it does work. You have to implement it though. I can talk up here all day long and if you don't implement what Jesus is teaching, it is pointless. It is pointless. So that leads me to today's big idea, confession. Confession is a process of recognition of sin. We've got to recognize that we're sinners and that we have sin. And it's a turning from it and experiencing the forgiveness of God, having a regular practice of searching our lives, searching our lives, and coming into the light can cultivate a life of grace and mercy as we rise from the ashes of our past and poor decisions making in our lives. You know, when I was a kid, many years before I was a Christian, I did some terrible things. And, and, I, we had a youth, youth area and it had a fence around it. And one day I thought it would be good because my friends didn't think I could rip with my bare hands. I was like 14, all the fencing off of the fence. So I did. But then I didn't know that I got reported and they'd been to my house and told my mom. So when my mom asked me, I completely denied it because I knew what the consequences were going to be. You know, because we do not like to confess our sins because we look at the consequences. And I'm going to tell you some good news about the consequences of your sin when it comes to God in a little bit. I actually got off with a warning because I knew the police officer that was coming to the house. I had to help fix the fence. So it was a pretty good, sweet deal for me because that could have been, that was where my path was going, by the way. I also set fires in fields too and, and lots of different things when I was a child because I thought it was a good idea at the time. So, but, but I always denied it because I didn't want the consequences for my actions because it's a failure and it's difficult to accept failure. Confessing and coming clean when we are at fault is not an easy task. It's not easy to confess when we're at fault. We don't like to be wrong. We don't want to go and be the first one to say, look, I was at, I was at fault here. And I'm sure uh, there's many similar stories might not, not, might not be as damaging, but there's many similar stories throughout your life where you've done things that you're not proud of, that you didn't 
confess or come forward to, to, to saying that you did it because you were afraid of the consequences that would come because of it. But thankfully, the stories end differently when God is involved. Thankfully, that because God is involved, our stories turn out differently. See, with God, we are promised forgiveness when we confess our sins and come clean. We're promised forgiveness. You know, this is, this is the funny thing, and it, this is the premise of my whole sermon, so you could actually fall asleep after this. this. God already knows what you've done wrong. It's like, so blows my mind that we're afraid to tell him. That we're afraid to confess. Because when you say, this week, I had a few people, they're like, oh, you're going to talk about repentance and forgiveness? I'm thinking, we're already, confession and repentance, okay? We're already, if we confess and turn away from it, God's already forgiven us. I mean, we live after the cross. Okay? He's already paid the penalty for what we're asking for forgiveness. He just wants us to be honest with ourselves. He just wants us to be honest with ourselves. Hebrews 12, 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by, by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. So what this is saying is lay your sin down, give it to Christ and run the race that he set before you. That's all he wants. Because when we do not ask for forgiveness... When we do not ask for forgiveness, it drags us down because we're guilty until we realize what we've done wrong. And we ask God for the forgiveness that he's already offered us. He's already given it to you. He wants you to ask him because he wants you to realize what you've done. Not because he's not going to forgive you. He already did. You see, when we bring ourselves into the light, we are able to live free, unburdened, and or unhindered by the sin that so easily entangles. So that we can run the race set before us. You see, confession is a topic today, the topic today as we journey together in our journey to an abundant life. This is a, a part, just like having a quiet time, This is another part of actually being a Christian. According to the Bible, not me, the Bible says we are to confess our sins. And I think we lack in this department. We lack in this department. We know they're forgiven, so we don't even speak of them. Well, I'm telling you, if you don't, and you don't, and I'm not saying you have to tell everybody your sin, just God. I think it's healthy if you tell other people your sins and have people that can hold you accountable, especially if it's a sin that you're struggling with. But I think we're supposed to confess to God. To God. See, obviously Jesus, because we're setting all this 
on Jesus' life, led a sinless life. So we won't see any specific examples of, of him, his life, including sin. Okay? However, it is because of Jesus' sinless life and humble sacrifice that we can experience the unrestrained, unrestrained forgiveness of the Father over our sin. And remember, you are not broken beyond repair. So no matter what you struggle with, no matter what your sin is, no matter what it is, God can forgive it. He forgave a murderer of Christians and made him the most prophetic, pro- prolific writer of the New Testament. If he can do that with Paul, he can do that with you. He can do that with you. See, Jesus is the reason we can confess and experience the complete forgiveness in our lives. 1 John 1 through 9, 1 verse 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise. If we're faith, if, if we confess our sins, he, talking about God, is faithful and just to forgive our sins. So, so all you have to do is ask. See, the divine forgiveness is truly an amazing grace. And it is such a different response to our wrongdoing than what many of us grew up experiencing. We had consequences for our actions. And I'm not saying there might not be some consequences in your life depending on how bad the sin is. Because God is going to allow you to to go through some of that. But it makes it different when you go through it with God. Knowing that he is going to use it to glorify him. See, our teaching today is going to follow the story of an arrogant son and his journey from the ash heap back to the arms of his father. See, we squander it all. We squander it all. This story is where most of our stories began. Everybody in here, before you as a Christian, this is where your story began. See, we are convinced we know how to run our lives better than God knows. You see, so we are going to take, we take all that is given to us, because just like I said at the offering, we, everything we have is from God. Everything. There is nothing that he didn't give you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. That means every little bit about you, he planned. He planned for his purposes. So, so he knows you and he gave you everything. But we take what he has given us and we waste it on living however we want. We double down on our bad decisions and hurt ourselves and others in the process. We take what he has given us and we squander it. We squander it. This is also the story of the younger son, the prodigal son. And this story is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Because it, 
it, it, I can put myself in that story. And I think if we're honest and brutally honest, we could all put ourselves in the story. And we're either, by the way, I'm talking about the younger son today, but we're either the younger son or the older son. Both of them needed Jesus. Both of them. We're going to be focusing on the younger son today. Luke 15, 11, verses, verse 11 through 13. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the youngest, younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And, and in that point, he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have my share. And he divided his property between them because he was a loving father. He said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to, I'm not dead yet, but I'm going to give my, my property to my sons. So he gave his older son his share and the younger son his share. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. See, the word used for reckless living is only used once in the New Testament. The word, the word that, that we, we translate reckless, uh, it, it describes an extravagantly wasteful lifestyle. You see, here's the problem with sin. The problem with sin is we all think that it starts off being fun. You can ask any addict, especially if they've, they've, they've recovered and been in recovery long enough that they can talk about their past to other people that aren't, that aren't in recovery. They will say that first snort of coke or that first shot of heroin or that first joint they smoked or that first drink they drank, the first time they got drunk, the first time they got high, it was amazing. And then guess what they did the rest of the time they were getting high or getting drunk? They were chasing the first feeling. Because you only have that feeling once. You chase the high. You chase the, the high. We do it in all aspects of life, by the way. That's why when we buy a new car, we can have a new car for a certain amount of time. And then we, we, we see somebody else with a, a newer car and we want it. That's no, it's, it's what we do as people. We always chase a high in some sort of way. And this is what he did. He went and, and started squandering and, 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 and doing all sorts of things, going to the strip clubs, going to hire prostitutes, getting drunk, getting high, whatever they did in Jesus' day to, to start, because, because they sinned just as good as we sin today. They did all the same things we do today. There's no new types of sin. They've been around for a long, long time. And he was there and he was squandering everything. But eventually his money runs out. 
And I don't know if you've been around people that have got money and they like to... People, they think they've got a lot of friends because they've got money and all these people are hanging around with them because they can get them high and, and drunk or they can buy them gifts and they can do this for them. And suddenly the money runs out. Guess where all them so-called friends end up? Bye-bye to the next rich person. So he has squandered everything, lost all the so-called friends he had in that town because he's got no money. And everything ends. And it's at this point we realize we've squandered it all. Because in some ways we've all been there. We've all been there. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, we are all like sheep. We have gone astray. Each each one of us has turned to our own way. All of us, at some point in our lives. Thankfully, that's not the end of the prodigal son's story, though. Nor is it the end of ours. We continue in Luke 15, 14 through 20. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So then he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. See, He felt no longer worthy. He felt no longer worthy. So there needs to be a time in each of our lives where we simply come to our senses and realize that our life will never be what it is meant to be apart from God. There's a time in everybody's life that that we could come to a part and say, my life is going to suck without God. I am so glad that God found me when he found me. Because I really can be honestly true. I would not be celebrating this year 30 years of marriage. I know. My wife, when I say that, she cringes. Because she says, what makes you say that? Well, I know I look at the trajectory of how it was going. And I wouldn't have stayed with me. Because I wasn't getting any better. I wasn't getting any better. My, my anger was getting the best of me. And you can only take so much. I wasn't physical, but I don't think physical is the worst damage you could do to somebody. I think when you're angry and you yell and scream and shout is the worst you could do to anybody. Because then bruises heal. What you say to people, it, it, it never goes away because once the words come out of your mouth, they're out. So I would say if, if, 
if Jesus hadn't found me exactly when he did, I don't know how long I would have been married. But I don't think I would be celebrating 40 years this year. So God saved me. And without him, without him, I wouldn't be who I am today. But he knew the exact time to do it too. So my prayer is that none of you have, have to lose everything. Have to lose everything to become so shattered or have your dreams reduced to ashes to figure this out. But the good news is we are able to make the decision to head home at any time. Just like this, 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 this son waited until he had nothing and he was devastated and he was starving to realize that he needed his father. I hope that we have never get like that. Some of us simply have to come to the end of our own worth and realize that in Christ alone we are found worthy by the Father. See, we don't need anything else except for Christ. Not based upon anything we can or cannot do, but based upon the finished work of the cross, the, the, the cross of Christ. The finished work that Jesus said, it is finished. We can't add to it. See, I was just talking to David, to, to, David, to Andrew. And you know, we both, we both will say, I don't know why God would choose us. We would both say, I don't know why God would choose us. I, I kind of do and I kind of don't, but, but because, because we've allowed him to, okay. But you know what we both say, and it's, it's funny because he said it to me and I've said it for years. I get to be a part of God's plan. So you can get to be a part of God's plan. You can allow God to use you or you cannot. But I'm thinking if God is who God says he is, and obviously I believe that, I want what God wants for me. I want God to be my Lord and Savior. I want God to control my life. And I am amazed that God picked me to do anything for them. And you should be too. But he wants to. He wants to. See, we get to be used by God. But first we have to come to him. But first we have to come to him. As the younger son reaches his end... Look at the confession he was practicing. And I love this because I used to do this. I sometimes still do it. If I'm going to talk to somebody, I actually have a conversation. And I'm both people. Sometimes it goes good. Sometimes it goes bad. But if I have to go to somebody and it's a tough topic, I usually, I, I usually speak for myself. Then I pretend what they're going to say and it's usually not good. And I go back and forth and I practice and I love the fact that this younger boy practices his speech. What he's going to say to his dad. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Notice though, I love the confession because he says, I've sinned against heaven and you. 
And David does that too when he confesses. He said, I sinned against you, God. You. He, he murdered somebody. I think he, he, he sinned against that guy, but he doesn't confess. He confesses to God that he sinned against God. Because ultimately, all sin is against God. So, so he's, saying, he's saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He recognized the depravity of his life, and he understands his sin not only touches his earthly father, but his heavenly father. He can, Luke continues this, and he arose and came to his father, but, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You know how, how pivotal this is? This is why I say you really need to know culture to understand what's going on here. This father is completely doing the wrong thing. You would never as, a, as, as a, the patriarch of the family, run. Because running in a dress kind of hurts. Because he would have had long robes flowing loads of And how would you run in that? Any of you women wouldn't run in your long dresses, would you? Because you'd probably trip up. So what you have to do is hike it up a little bit to run. And customarily in that time, in that time, it was not good it was not appropriate for a, a patriarch of the family to show his bare legs. So he, he humiliates himself a little bit to run to his son. His son. And I love the fact that, that he practiced, he practiced his, his repentance speech. It didn't say he said it yet. And what is his, his father doing? He ran to him and he embraced him and he kissed him. He already forgave him. And he's just spent his share. He's got nothing. He's got nothing to offer. And guess what? We have nothing to offer God. Really. Because he gave us everything. But he embraces us and he kisses us. And guess what he does? And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, I don't even think the father was kind of listening. He was kind of listening here. The father turned to his servants and said, bring quickly. This is what God does to us when we, when we ask for forgiveness. For our sins. This is what he does. And bring quickly the best robes and put them on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. I love the fact that he gets to wear shoes. Because again, culturally, guess what? Servants didn't get shoes. So he's saying, son, you're my son. You're not a servant. You're my son. I'm putting shoes on on your feet. You are part of the family. You are part of my family. That is what God's saying. You see, that's why it's so important to know what's going on in the story. Because he's welcoming back into the family. And that is how God 
does to you when you confess your sin. He's saying, child, you're mine. I know my son has covered them sins and I forgive you. I just think it's good that you come to to terms with it yourself and admit that you have flaws because then I can fix you. I can help you. I can grow you. And then bring he then he said and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate we're alive again see the young the younger son reaches bottom and begins heading home But even while he's a long way off, his father sees him and runs out to meet him. You can almost hear this son's muffled apology coming through the sound of his father's warm embrace and smothering kisses. You see, the younger man's humility, because it still took humility for the younger guy, the younger man, to come back and, and get that low to actually confess his sins. And we talked about humility and we want to be humble. We, we all would say we want to be humble. It takes a humility to confess and a willingness, a willingness to return home after having lost everything. He, it says a lot about the younger son's true character. Because just because he did all the things wrong, he ended up really doing all the things right. See, yes, he was physically starved, and yes, he was in a foreign land with nothing to show for it. But there is, there's, that's rock bottom. And there's a lot of people that come to this church that hit, had to hit rock bottom. And what really mattered at that point was to become clear to him the abundance of food, mercy, and compassion, and warmth of his father's house that he called home. Even if he had to go back and be a servant to his father. How many of you need to humble yourself this morning and confess your sin against God and others and return to the father? And there's going to be times in your life that you, you mess up and you do stupid stuff. And, and, and you, you, you say stuff to, to, to people that you don't want to hurt, and you hurt them. And you need to go to God and confess, but you also need to go to the person you hurt and confess. I've recently had one of these experiences where I, I said lots of stuff that shouldn't have been said the way I said it. And I had to go to God first, and then I went to the person. And that person, being a godly person, forgave me. And now I've got to learn to walk in the grace that He showed me. I know the grace that God showed me. But I want to ask you. I want to ask you, what's keeping you from your father today? Is it anger? Is it unforgiveness? Is it an offense that you do not want to tell him about? You see, what happens if we do not release it from ourselves? 
We carry it and we can't have a, a, a good relationship with that person. Just like I use the fact that, that we're supposed to be like a married marriage. Our relationship to God is supposed to be like a marriage. If I'm not honest with Shelley, how am I going to have a solid relationship? It's not going to happen, is it? So if you're not honest with God, even though he knows everything, when you don't confess, how can you be honest and have a good relationship with God? If you don't just lay it down. And and you know what's so amazing is, you see, we hold on to stuff like past hurts and unmet expectations. He's already forgiven us. That's what's so pathetic. We hold on to stuff. We don't go to him and we let it ruin our lives. We let it ruin our lives because we can't go to him and say, God, I did this. Please forgive me. And you know what? He's like the father. You're like this, really. When it, and he's already hugging you and kissing you and say, look. My son, I sent him, and he died for that. I'm glad that you, you are honest and you could come to me and talk to me and tell me this. And if there's somebody else involved, he'll say, now you need to go to that person and you need to, you need to reconcile bridges. Even if they don't forgive you, you need to do your part and confess. And then you can build your relationship. And guess what? I can guarantee you if we start living like this that God is going to use it to make you grow into what he wants you to become. I know that. That's why I wanted to go through these topics because I think if we can grasp a hold of all these and we can start implementing them all, we can be so much more than we are. And not because of anything we've done, but because of what's been done for us. But sometimes we just come and we just listen and then we forget and we don't implement. And if we don't implement, what's the point of coming? What's the point? If we're not going to apply what we're going to learn, what is the point? I mean, statistically, this is a sad statistic. Most people that have been polled after, a week after that, like in the middle of the week after they've listened to a sermon, couldn't even, they'll say, yeah, I went to Calvary Memorial Church last week, Ed preached, uh, it was really good, I'm just saying that. And then, and then, and then, and then the person will say, well, what, what did they talk about? Uh, uh, well, how could it be really good? But if we start implementing, we would know what the messages were about. And it doesn't have to be really, really good. Because God works in the broken. God works in the broken. And he will restore us. James 5.16 says this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. See, this is why we need other people in our lives. And I keep saying this over and over again. You don't need a lot of people. You need one or two people that you can trust with what you struggle with, that you can talk about and pray together. 
that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. See, today, come home to Calvary and lay your sins at the cross. That's all that confession is, is laying your sin at the cross so you can do what you were made to do. And if we go back to Luke 15, verse 7, prior to this story, right after he tells the, the story of the, 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 the lost sheep, he says this. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy. Think about this for a minute. There'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. By the way, it, it's kind of oxymoron because there's no righteous people anyway. But, but what it's saying is there's going to be so much joy when you go to the cross and you confess your sin. And don't you want to cause joy? I mean, really, I can confess my sin and God is going to throw a party? Wow. And I just thought about that this, this morning, by the way, as I was finishing up because I've had a busy week. And I was thinking about that verse that, that, that every time we confess, there's a party. Hey, there's joy. There's happiness. I like, I can do some stupid things, but I like making people happy. So if confessing my sin brings joy to the world, joy to heaven, I need to confess more. Because I said, somebody else yesterday said, well, how, how many times a week am I supposed to call you? I'm like, we're not Catholic. I don't, you don't need to confess your sins to me. You need to confess them to God. And, and, and somebody who's either close to you or the person that you've, you've hurt during this incident. And uh, that's what we're supposed to do. Just confess our sin to God. It has already been forgiven. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? That, that that's the reason that we celebrate by now. We should be confessing all year round, by the way. When I say it's a season of repentance... That's what they say, but it's not really because we should be confessing. We should be repenting all the time. Because the last time I checked, we're always sinning. And, 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 and the sins that I do now are not the same sins I was doing 20, 19 years ago when I first came to Christ. See, we'll, we'll Shrek, if you've watched Shrek, the first one, when Donkey is asking Shrek what, what ogres are like. And he goes, they're complicated. They've got layers. We're like onions. And he goes, well, can't you be like a parfait because they've got layers? He said, no, I'm like an onion because we are. Do you know how an onion you peel and they just keep peeling? That's what we are because that's what our sin is in our life. It's like we, we, we battle with this layer of the, the, the skin part of the sin. When we first, it's like, bam, that's our, yeah, I know that's a sin, God. And we get, but the, the, the closer we get, the more complicated it gets because then the sins that are sins for me are not the, sins, the same sins that are sins for you because some sins are only sins for me and they're not sins for you because they affect the way my relationship is with Christ. 
They might not affect your relationship with Christ, but they affect mine, so I shouldn't do it because, because it's affecting my relationship with Christ. So each week, I've told you we're going to do some uh, homework. I know Jackie likes homework. We're going to read John 6, verses 50 through 71. And I want you to read that so you can be ready for next week's sermon. Next week's sermon, we're going to talk about sacrifice. We're going to talk about Jesus' sacrifice and what it means to be a Christian and how we should sacrifice. Because we're supposed to be living a life that is an image of Christ Jesus. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Today we confess today that we have made decisions that have broken our relationships with you and with others. And we want to ask for forgiveness for, for the mistakes we have made. Free us from the shame and the guilt that we may walk in the newness of life that you have offered us in your Son, Jesus. May our lives be transparent before you, and may you help us to live our lives with wisdom, knowing that we're covered in the grace, the grace that was poured so freely at the cross of Calvary. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.